love yourself like you would love others. Think of the people that you love most in the world. How do you treat them? How do you show them love? Think of your children. What are ways that you care for them, that you love them, that you show those feelings? How can you give that to yourself? And it's worth saying, you know what? I'm realizing that not everybody listening to this maybe even knows what a healthy kind of love looks like. Maybe someone listening to this is like, Rach, I never had any examples. And I'm living out my adult life either not engaging because I know that I'm going to mess it up or falling in love and just going about it all in the wrong way. I think that's a really honest and brave realization to come to. But just because you did not have something modeled for you doesn't mean that you can't have it in your life today. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hi guys, it's Rach and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we're talking about love. More specifically, we're talking about how you fall in love with you. How do you fall in love with yourself? This question came from a voicemail that one of you sent me. And as usually happens, she's asking about one thing and I sort of see a different angle for it. So I want you to listen to the voicemail and then we'll come back and we'll talk about sort of how this manifests for me. Oh, good morning. I just wanted to first say thank you as your words have been very helpful to me over the past two and a half years. I feel super grateful to have been able to attend RISE Toronto literally days before the COVID lockdown started and I'll forever believe that having that conference right before COVID hit was divine intervention. With that said, here is my question. Uh, I recently started working with a therapist and she asked me recently if I realized I was good enough just as I am, whether I had realized I had value just as I am. And this question was kind of a light bulb going off in my head because it was literally the first moment in my life I can remember thinking, oh, like maybe I'm okay just as I am and I don't have to work so hard to be different or better. And I've been reflecting on this a lot since, but I'm struggling to reconcile it with the fact that I also have so much I want to do and achieve and I have this need to want to level up my business and lose 10 pounds and make more money and volunteer in the community more and I just have all these ideas all the time of things that I want to do and pursue and I kind of overwhelm myself with that need to improve and and I think it's a value of mine that's good but then how does that fit with me also being okay just as I am? So I just, um, I really respect your opinion and insight. And I was just wondering if you could share your thoughts on this. Thank you so much. Take care. I love, love, love this question. I love the hotline. I love that you guys call in. You're really shaping the direction of the show and the content that we create. And I, it makes my heart really happy to think that um, the work that me and the team does is actually helping you in your very real life and hopefully helping other people. So please keep calling in. Uh, if you have never called into the hotline, you can do just like she did. She didn't leave her name or any personal information. So it's totally anonymous. Or you can tell us all about yourself. Um, and either way, we'll, we'll make it great. But uh, the hotline number is 737-400-4626. So call and leave a message. And the ones that I usually choose are the ones that I think will have 
uh, like a wider reach. So they'll be able to maybe help a lot of people instead of just one. And this is one I feel like will really talk to a lot of people. I sort of wish that I had considered this, you know, years ago when I really needed it. So the question she's asking is, how do I hold space for pursuing something more for myself, reaching for more, becoming a better person, wanting to change, how can I do that and also believe that I'm worthy and enough as I am today? So smart. And like, shout out to your therapist and shout out to every single one of us who is in therapy and freaking doing the work. I don't know that we pat ourselves on the back enough for like how hard it is to work through your stuff with your therapist. I don't know anyone that goes to the therapist and is like, leaves just like, hell yeah, like did it, great. No, it's freaking hard. It's work. A healing journey to, to get past your stuff is a powerful decision to make. And it also means that you're gonna, you're gonna do work. So I just wanna honor her and I wanna honor her therapist for telling her this very important piece of wisdom that most of us did not grow up understanding, that you are worthy that you are enough as you are today, full stop. It's powerful for us to hear. But then how on earth do you pursue something for yourself if you think that you're enough now? Back in the day, I feel like my fear with this was that if I thought I was worthy and if I thought I was enough, that I wouldn't be driven anymore. And when I was a younger woman and through my childhood, for most of my life, I really believed that my worth was completely determined by what I was able to achieve. And so I would abuse myself to get results because all that mattered to me was the result. It didn't matter if you know, writing 10,000 words in a day on a book I was trying to finish. It didn't matter if that was physically so damaging to my body or that I was having like four shots of espresso to jack up my system so that I felt like I could write faster. Or I was like working around the clock without eating, without grounding myself, without connecting. Like all of the things that I was doing gave me the results I want, but did so in a way that was really hurtful. And yeah, I think I did it because I was afraid that I wouldn't like, oh, but if I if I did this crazy thing that people are talking about and learn to love myself, then would I be as ambitious? Then would I achieve as much? And frankly, if I'm not achieving, then who am I? This is what ego does, right? And, and when I when I reference ego on the show, I'm not talking about like people who are egotistical. I'm talking about ego as it pertains to our idea of who we are. We have a perception. You have a perception. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on podcasts, you have a perception of who you are. And you walk through the world every day and make choices and do things through the lens of who you believe you are. But that's just a belief, right? Like, Think of all the things you used to believe when you were little that you don't anymore. So even your perception of self, it is your ego. And we will do everything in our power to live out who our ego believes we are. Our ego is like, whatever you do, at least for me, whatever you do, don't stop achieving. Whatever you do, don't stop working. Don't stop because if you don't do these things, then you have no worth. And what I've actually discovered is that the answer to all of this is self-love. It's self-love. I think I became really, this really solidified for me the first year that we incorporated Own Your Present into RISE Conference. I think um, there's a fair amount of you who've been to RISE Conference with me in the past. And when I first started this conference, we only had one day. And that one day was all about talking about your past. Because I felt like if we as women could come to terms with the trauma of our past that we could use love and awareness and connection and community and tools to allow it to 
see ourselves as strong, not weak. Allow us to see that we are warriors, right? So if we could if we could flip our perspective on what we've gone through, it would give us power. And so the first day and the only day of Rise Conference was Own Your Past. And then the next year, we came back. We had another conference. And everybody had asked, could we have another day? And I was like, okay, well, own your past. So then I guess own your future. So the, the second day was all about how to achieve a goal and how to work towards your future. And that was what conference was for a very long time. Own your past, own your future. And then I had this really shocking experience at conference one year where we do this exercise called Stand Up For Your Sister, where uh, we have a checklist of all these really hard things that you may have gone through. And you check off any that apply to you. And then we pass the checklist around. And it's this beautiful moment where we stand up for each other. So you're not holding your own list. You're holding your sister's list, your friend's list, someone across the room, tons. Of, you're holding a stranger's list. And then I stand on stage and I read off this list and you stand up if that trauma, that pain, that hardship affected the woman who's, whose story you're holding in your hands. And it's this, oh, it's so powerful because you, you know, you half the room stands up for horrible things, things like being raped or things like losing a child, things like um, being physically abused, being an addict. Like it's such this incredible moment of truth and power and solidarity. It's so, so special. For those of you who've ever been to a conference, you know how special that moment is. But that particular year, I had just, you know, I would have said at the time, like, oh, it was just a random whim. But I now believe it wasn't. I now believe it was divine. Like something sort of put this thought into my head. And at the last minute, right before we printed those lists that year, I added one box to check that said, I hate the way I look. Because I realized that in that whole list, we didn't have anything about body image, which is something that really affects women. And I added that at the last minute. And during this exercise, you have a certain amount, maybe a third of the room stands up or half of the room stands up. And when I read that question on stage, all 800 women in the conference stood up. Everybody. And it was like the air was sucked out of the room. Because I think every woman in that room at the same time had this, holy shit, we're all carrying this. We are all carrying this. And it didn't matter your age, what your body looked like, how beautiful other people thought you were. None of that mattered. We had a full theater of women who hated the way they look. Hate's a strong word. It didn't say, I don't like the way I look. It didn't say, I would like to change some things. It said, I hate. And everyone checked it. And I, I left conference that day and I was like, I have to do something. I have to do something about this. And I didn't know what, but I knew that if I could even affect 800 women who came to conference, that it maybe I could help. And I thought we have to have a day where we talk. We need a day of conference where we talk about this. And the next year when we came back, it was the first time that we added a third day. So I had own your past, own your future. And I was like, what could that day be? And then it was like, aha own your present. Because loving yourself, loving your body, taking care of your health, your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, that is owning this present moment and who you are inside of it. And when I was trying to lay that out, I felt so overwhelmed because I was like, how the hell? I am not a nutritionist. I'm not a health professional. I'm not, I don't, I don't know the like, I'm using air quotes, but I don't know the like, educated way to teach about this. The only thing I can do in this moment is just as like one woman to another, talk about what this has felt like for me and what has helped. And I remember when I was mapping it out, I was like, how do I explain this without like, wait, I'm talking about taking care of your health, which means changing a lot of things about yourself but also I'm telling them that they're beautiful and enough and wonderful as they are. How can those two things hold space? And this is what 
I realized in that process. The whole idea is can you love yourself enough to want more? Can you love yourself enough to believe that you are worth a better quality of life? Do you love yourself enough to learn and unlearn what's necessary so that you can heal? That's why it's about self-love. That's why it matters. Because those 800 women in the audience can't hate one part of themselves without really hating all of themselves at their core. And when I was trying to map out this episode, I was thinking, you know, I wonder how many people are even aware enough to know that they should be pursuing self-love. And then I stepped back further and I was like, maybe people don't even hold awareness of that. Maybe there's so much self-hatred that it's not even something you know is possible for you. I actually think it's very possible that as a society, we have a lot more incidents of self-hatred than of people who are just totally in love with themselves. Self-hatred is what leads to addiction. You know, you want to numb out. You want to, whatever your personal form of addiction is, it allows you to step out of your own head, your own thoughts, your awareness of self. You don't want to be alone because you don't like yourself when you're by yourself. Self-hatred leads to suicide. Self-hatred leads to people taking their hatred out on others. It's a horrible disease, and it's something that people carry for their whole life. So whether you can hear that conversation and you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm, I hate myself. I, I, I don't, whether you're there or whether you wouldn't say that you hate yourself, but maybe you just never have considered that self-love is a pursuit. I promise you that getting to the other side is possible. The older I get, the more I understand that anything and everything that we want is a practice. I think the achiever in me always wanted like instantaneous results. You know, I'm going to decide to do this and then tomorrow I just am that person. But for something to actually like sit in our soul and be who we are, it's a practice. It's something that we work on. It's a lifelong practice. So what started for me a very long time ago, would it just began with an awareness. Wow, what if it's possible to pursue these things from a place of love? Because, you know, the Beatles said it, love is all you need. But really, every, like, religion everybody who's, you know, comes back with stories from like near-death experiences where they like cross over to the other side and then they come back. Like every single one of those, always look it up, do the research. Everybody comes back and is like, oh, it's all love. God's source at, at the other side, everything is love. And, you know, it's like people who go and I've never done psychedelics, but like have a psychedelic trip or whatever. And then they're like, oh, it's all, we're all connected. And it's all about love. Like across different countries, different creeds, different, it always comes back to that is the source of everything. And if that is the source, that's what we're trying to get closer to. And so how in the world do you fall in love with yourself? I got some ideas. The first thing is that we commit to loving ourselves, to loving every part of ourselves, that we make a commitment that you can make a commitment and set an intention and you have no idea how you're going to get there. 
you see the finish line, you have no idea how on earth you're getting to that finish line, but it's enough to set the intention that you're going in that direction. And if you've never read it, there's a great Wayne Dyer book called The Power of Intention. It's older, but there's a ton of information in it about how important decisions like that are in our life. And in this instance, it's enough to decide to walk on the path, even if you don't know how you're going to keep going or how it's going to get there. So I think it begins with that intention to love yourself. I have found that when I set intentions that are really pure, meaning they come from like my highest self, my best self, my most aligned, grounded self. They're not like, oh, I want to, you know, achieve this big, amazing thing. That is usually ego, right? But the things that are just from a pure place, just having the intention, even when I don't necessarily do a lot of things to make it happen, I'll look back and realize, holy crap, I fully manifested this decision. The example that I thought of today was about a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago, my two youngest started sharing a room, which was like, oh my the the drama, the drama of these two sharing a room. And at their dad's house, they all have their own room. My house is not as big. So, you know, God forbid, but they had to share a room. And it's a huge room and they got their own beds and whatever. But, oh, my son was just the dramatics of having to share a room with his little sister. And they fought all the time. And sharing a room made it worse. And it was so stressful. I cried about it all the time because I didn't know how to make it better. And my son, man, when he latches onto something, he must have complained about his sister every day for six months. And it was so stressful. I just did it all the time. And I, I tried everything. And then it was getting to that place where you're kind of like, okay, I am approaching this in the wrong way. Nothing I'm doing is working. How can I help this? And I meditated on it and I prayed about it a lot. And the sort of guidance that I got was that I needed to, they didn't know how to be friends and I needed to teach them how to be friends. And the first thing that I did was I wrote Uh, I wrote an intention in my journal and I wrote it down on an index card. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, I have like, I do so much stuff on like little cards like this. I'm holding up like a little three by five card for you who can't see it. The intentions that I've set in my journal, in my start today journal, I will also put them on index cards. I'll carry them with me. I'll throw them in my purse or my suitcase when I'm traveling. I, I have them on my desk here in my office and I'll just flip through them. It takes 10 seconds, but I just remind myself where I'm going. And the intention that I wrote down that day was that Noah and Ford were very close, that they were really good friends. They played together. They laughed together. They loved each other so much that there was peace in the house between them and that they would grow closer together because I would be intentional about the three of us growing closer. Because I just thought if they, if the three of us can play together and I can sort of moderate that but make it fun, I can teach them how to be kind. I can teach them how to be loving. And this is really, this was really important for me on like so many levels this idea of like showing them how to love each other because I didn't grow up with that. I grew up in a house. We also had four kids in the house I grew up in. And um, my parents did not regulate or moderate how we treated each other ever. And as the baby of four, I feel like that was really awful. Like I think that things happened to me when I was a kid that are so effed up and that I would never, like, I I can't even imagine allowing my kids to bully and tease and do things like that to each other. And so for me, not only was this very important, but it was also very healing. And it all sort of had that foundation in 
in love. I'm going to say love a million times and you can roll your eyes, but it is real. (laughs) So I set this intention and I sort of saw the way that I would do it. I'd be more intentional with play and I'd kind of um, encourage them and I'd show them and we'd, and to be completely honest with you, I remember the first few times being intentional about that. Like, oh, right. This is an opportunity to play. And this is what I said I would do. But y'all, I don't even remember like nine months of doing that. And I didn't even realize that a seismic shift had happened until recently I was reviewing a notebook. I literally, I I think you guys have heard me say this a lot. Like I go back and I look at my old notebooks every once in a while. I'm kind of like, okay, well, what, what's happening? And what was I talking about a year ago? And how are things going? And how are things different? And this was one of them. I opened a notebook from a year ago and I saw that intention, which I fully forgot that I wrote down. And it gave me like the hair on my arm stood up because the shot that I called is how they are today. They are such good friends. Yes, they still fight with each other. They are such good friends. They are so happy to share a room with each other. He has become like the sweetest big brother. She idolizes him. And I was like, holy crap, setting this intention. I mean, this was like two other people that I had the ability to influence. Imagine how powerful it is when it's yourself. So setting the intention and committing to loving yourself is the first step. The second step is, I think, always and forever. These are just my ideas. I'm sure there are experts and doctors and therapists and so many people who could also help you with this. This is just your girl, Rach, telling you what worked for me. But the second thing that I have felt is very powerful in me learning to love myself is really truly knowing yourself separate from any labels that they gave you. Get to know yourself separate from any labels that other people have given you. And I think that includes any label that you are to other people. One element of myself is that I am a mother. One element of myself is that I am a friend, a sister, a daughter, a girlfriend. Those are elements of me. But that is not who I am at my core separate from anybody else. And those are big parts of my life. But if all I know about myself is who I am in relation to others, then other people's relationships get to be the barometer of how I'm doing and how lovable I am. Does that make sense? Like if you identify yourself first and foremost as a daughter, let's say you have a very strong connection with your parents and you identify yourself as a daughter and you have parents who are manipulative or mean, or maybe they have their own broken journey that's having them affect you in certain ways. The way they feel about you as a daughter will absolutely trickle down into the way that you feel about yourself. So it's important that you know and love who you are completely removed from anybody else. The example I thought of for this was, oh man, just like there's so many labels that other people give you or there's so many ways that other people see you. And I don't know any other more profound experience than going through a big breakup Anybody, any of you who've ever been with someone for a long period of time and really grown up or, you know, let's say you've spent a couple of years, like you have a significant amount of time with someone and then you break up and then you start to realize how many parts of yourself were really who you were together or were really, and this is when it gets dangerous, who they like, like who they wanted you to be or what they preferred or the package that they wanted you served up in. What sprung to my head today was just like, I think if you've been with me for a while, you it maybe there's an interesting, like, um, you maybe have an interesting perspective on how much my style has changed over the years and has really changed since I got divorced. I, at my core, am like super hippie vibes. I, you know... I just, I feel so comfortable in what I'm wearing. 
I, if you can't see me, I've got on a vintage t-shirt and vintage army pants and lots of rings and my hair is like big and frizzy and I'm not wearing much makeup. And I just really, I love myself. And I realize in retrospect that a lot of the things I struggled with for a very long time was looking in the mirror and having a cognitive dissonance between who I knew I was, who I knew I am, who I knew I was back then, and like what I was seeing in the mirror because I was trying to live into other people's ideals of what I should look like. And I remembered today, it just like popped into my head. I I just had a very, I have a very different aesthetic, a very different lots of things. Uh, between me and my ex, but I have a very different aesthetic in terms of like clothes and and such. <laughs> and uh, years ago, it's got to be, oh, I don't know, eight years ago or something, it was Christmas time. And I really wanted a hat, like a big, you know, those great felt hats that everybody had. Like it was like required by law that if you you know, we're a mom that you had one of those great hats. And I really wanted a hat. And um, I was very specific about wanting a hat from this brand called Lack of Color, which is an Australian brand that I thought was so cool. And I had wanted a hat forever. And um, I was very clear about wanting that for Christmas because uh, if I wasn't clear, then <laughs> the gifts were interesting. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that I wanted a hat from there, but I thought, oh, it's so I I hate hate just being like, here's a link, like get me this thing because it doesn't feel very intentional, and I really wanted a partner who really put thought into that, and um, so I had sent him a link of like five hats, and I had one that I loved the most, but I just sent him five that I thought were really cool, and you know, on Christmas morning I unwrap and it's the one that I love the most, and I was so happy, and I thought it was so cool. And I was like, oh, thank you. This is the best. Thank you. Thank you. Like, I, would, I was so pumped. And then within like a couple weeks of that, we had gone to dinner with some friends and I was wearing my hat and they were like, oh, that's so sick. Love it. And I'm like, yeah, he got it for me. And they're like, oh, that's that's awesome. Like, how'd you choose that hat? And he's like, oh, um, I just picked the one that I thought was the ugliest. And I knew that that's the one she'd like the most. Even saying that like hurts my heart a bit because I didn't, it like pricked me at the time, but I didn't realize like how wrong that was. But we experience these moments where the people around us either outright sort of dislike who we are at our core or do passive aggressive things or say passive aggressive things like that, that infer that something's wrong with us. So even if they don't purposely say it, those little digs add up until you learn to behave in a way that is what other people would like instead of what you would love. And it's not surprising to me that the most love I've had for myself is since I became single because it was how I was able to get space and freedom to learn who I was, good and bad, right? And to really work on falling in love with myself. So it's important that you know the weird stuff that you're in. You know, you if you love sci-fi, if you love, you know, anime, if you are really into K-pop, if you love a romance novel, if you you know, are, I don't know. You want, you've always secretly wanted to be a surfer. You, whatever it is, those unique and beautiful things that are you. If you, number one, if you are allowing other people to make them feel wrong, then you're never going to have a chance of loving yourself. But if you don't even know what those things are, then you can't appreciate your weirdness. And just to go one step further, I would never have found the partner I have today who adores me and adores me, really, all the things that I am, 
if I didn't love those things about myself. Because then when I came into a relationship or I came into dating someone, I came in as myself. I refuse to show up as someone else. I am flawed. I am imperfect. I am figuring out. I am, a you know, this soul having this human experience and doing my best and all of those things. And I'm bringing that to all of my relationships because I've learned that if I can't show up as myself, I don't have a chance of loving what that is. Yeah. Love and acceptance of your own unique quirks. And it's really interesting. I was like, am I going to talk about this? I think I am. It feels like a little embarrassing. Um, But I always tell you guys the truth, even if it's like a little embarrassing. So a a big part of this, <laughs> I've got some like religious dogma from back in the day that's like, you're not allowed to talk about this. This is so dumb. I'm going to work through it. We're going to work through it right now together, uh, you and me. Spending more time being naked has been really helpful for me. And I'm not talking about naked in the sexual sense. I am talking about, I was with someone for 18 years and this person watched me give birth three times, like was with me through thick and thin and sick and sickness and health, like all those things. And (laughs) I didn't realize until I was in my next relationship how very, very, very conservative I was about my body still. And that goes back to probably utero. That goes back to ancestors, right? That's some like, that has been, my family has been a part of the Pentecostal church. And then before that, you know, Irish and Scottish descendants. So you're looking at like Catholicism and like we religion and religious dogma has just, it's part of our story. And that is very much part of my story and my belief of like what good girls are supposed to do. And you're supposed to be modest and you're not supposed to show anything. And I mean, like when I'm by myself, guys, like by myself, I what? And oh, so many layers. And definitely in, I had, if you read Girl, Wash Your Face, you know, like I went on this whole journey to understand myself and my sexuality and enjoy sex and not feel shame about it. But I didn't realize how much that was still a part of my body and like body image. And I wouldn't have known this except that my boyfriend loves to be naked. I I feel... I feel confident he would be okay with me saying that. My boyfriend is very confident and very comfortable being naked. And so he would just like get out of the shower and just like be walking around nude. And I would be mortified. I would be so embarrassed because I would be like, oh my, I can't believe, which makes zero sense. Because at that point we had been together for like six months of like, obviously we've seen each other naked many times, but there was something for me that was so that felt like so wild about being naked if you weren't about to have sex. I'm sorry, we're getting very deep right now. And he would sort of lovingly tease me of like, oh, good, you know, Christian girl, like with these sort of ideals about how she's supposed to show up. Because I'd be like, you know, fully covered, basically wearing a snowsuit because I was like, don't, whatever. And I thought, okay, that's wild. So I've really worked on being naked. And I mean like, oh, today when I was getting ready to do this podcast, I'm here by myself. It's me and Jeffrey. And I was doing my hair and doing, just putting on little makeup naked. And I still feel like that's crazy because I'm like, anyone could, like who, who, no one's here. Who could, but stick with me for a second. If you, and you don't have to go like full enchilada to start us off, if you are willing to start by just seeing your body more, that's what it was about for me, is looking 
at my body, there's something about, I realize in retrospect, there's something about from like childhood of needing to cover up my skin and needing to cover up my body because I was taught that my body was wrong. I was taught that my body was something to feel ashamed of. And so there was real liberation for me in being able to free myself in that way. And I will tell you just for anyone who's like, you know what, I identify with that and I need to have more naked time because it would be helpful. The two things that really helped were one, I really do have a partner that's so body positive about every human being on the planet and is so loving and told me, tells me one gajillion times how beautiful I am and how much he loves me. And his comfort with his own body really made me comfortable with mine. So that's one. And then two, as weird as it sounds, yoga. Yoga was very, very powerful in helping me to, because you're looking in a mirror and in yoga, you're not wearing, your clothes are really tight. And so I was watching myself in a mirror doing things that made me feel so strong and so proud of myself. And there was something about that connection to like, this is the body that's doing those things. That was really helpful. So a big part of loving yourself is accepting all the pieces of you, all the parts, all the moles, all the pimples, all the dimples, all the ingrown hairs on your bikini line, all the moles that have a hair growing out of them, all the cellulite, all the stretch marks, all all of it, all of it. And if you struggle with self-love, there's a really good chance that you weren't given that as a child, that you nobody taught you to love yourself because maybe you had parents who didn't know how either. And it's like, give yourself what you needed. Give yourself what you needed then. You know, our subconscious doesn't know the difference between what we imagine and what's real. Your subconscious does not know the difference between the things that you make up in your head and what happened in real life. It's why you can think about something that hasn't happened and give yourself an anxiety attack. Your body can have a physical response to something you're imagining. So knowing that that's the case, you can imagine times in your past where maybe you were outright shamed for being who you were, or you were taught that to love yourself was selfish or you were taught something that you know was a disservice to you, go back in your mind's eye as the adult that you are right now today and imagine the adult you are right now today. I do this all the time. I imagine 39-year-old me going and taking care of three-year-old me. I imagine, I just did this exercise with my therapist last week. I imagine 39-year-old me going back and there's three-year-old me in a park and she's scared and she's unsure and what does she need and what did she want? And I imagine that playing out in my head and it's so healing. Love yourself like you would love others. Think of the people that you love most in the world. How do you treat them? How do you show them love? Think of your children. What are ways that you care for them, that you love them, that you show those feelings? How can you give that to yourself? And it's worth saying, you know what? I'm realizing that not everybody listening to this maybe even knows what a healthy kind of love looks like. Maybe someone listening to this is like, Rach, I never had any examples. And I'm living out my adult life either not engaging because I know that I'm going to mess it up or falling in love and just going about it all in the wrong way. I think that's a really honest and brave realization to come to. But just because you did not have something modeled for you doesn't mean that you can't have it in your life today. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't have modeled for me in my childhood. And I give the things I didn't have to my kids all the time. And I give the things I didn't have to myself all the time. So I just want to encourage you, if you're on that journey where you're like, I'm not even sure what this looks like when it's healthy. I really want to encourage you, whatever it is you're trying to figure out, a therapist can be really helpful. 
going to the library and looking for books, doing some research, YouTube videos. There's so much incredible information that you can find online for free. In the absence of knowing what to do, we model behavior. And if the only behavior you ever saw was ugly and broken and wrong, that might scare you into believing that love is not possible for you. But the fact that you're still with me 45 minutes in means that something, even even if it's something at your most core level, knows that this is something your heart is longing for. And it just starts with that intention. The next thing I wanted to say about this is that loving yourself also looks like holding boundaries. Think of yourself as, I was going to say as a child, but you know what? Honestly, at our core, we're all little children who have been hurt, who are trying to figure out better ways to do things. So imagine yourself as a child that needs protection. And if you need protection, it means that you have to be very clear about what you will and won't accept in your life. For instance, not letting people in your life or not allowing people in your life who disrespect you, are mean to you, are hateful, who trigger you in old ways, who like, you know, if I'm saying things, you're like, yep, that's aunt so-and-so, or that's my cousin, or that's my best friend from childhood who's so negative, or that's my partner who's so negative and I can't escape them. Like, those are boundaries. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect your heart. You have to protect your energy. Because like I told you earlier, If you're working on loving yourself, but you continually allow people in who are acting in ways that are not loving, those are mixed signals. And I guarantee you that those people have a stronger voice than your inner voice that's just starting to emerge. You haven't practiced this enough to be tempted in that way. It's like if you're on a, if you're trying to learn to, you know, eat really healthy and you know that. I don't know, nachos will sort of remind you of a certain time and you'll go jump right off the wagon and you'll, you know, abuse your body. You'll have too much tequila. Like it sounds a little crazy, but I think almost everyone can identify with like certain things that will trigger a wild reaction in us that's disconnected from just eating some chips. You could handle those chips. It's a ridiculous example, but you can handle that if you've been taking care of your nutrition for six months and you're in a routine and you're set and you're not triggered, who cares? Go to the birthday party. Go to Taco Tuesday with your friends. You're not triggered because you are aligned. You know yourself. You've been practicing. But if you're just starting out, you can't be exposed to that. So in the process of learning to love yourself in the beginning, you may need to distance yourself or freaking cut yourself off from people altogether because the way that they treat you is not loving. I mean, Honestly, I hope that you don't allow people into your life in any event who are not treating you well. But for this, certainly, if you are on this road and you are trying to learn to love yourself and it keeps getting thrown off, ask who's in your circle. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are your, are your, do your friends love themselves? Are your friends practicing this? Or are you surrounded by people who hate themselves? Are you surrounded by people who are mean to each other and mean to you and mean to them? And this is the example that you're seeing. Hold your boundaries. Hold your boundaries. The last thing that I'm going to say about loving yourself, this is a fun one. Date yourself. Date you. Your unique, weird, fun, silly immature or too mature or loud or quiet, extrovert, introvert, whoever you really are, take them on a date. Julia Cameron wrote a book called The Artist's Way, which I've referenced many times. And in it, she talks about this idea of an artist date, which is you going and doing something by yourself that's just for joy. Going to a toy store, a candy store, a museum, you know, going on a jog, going on a boat ride, going to take an art class when you don't think you're an artist, like anything that feeds your unique self. What are things that you can do for you? 
It's funny. I have really been craving. I really want to go to a good restaurant and have a glass of wine. I've been craving this for like six weeks. And I was going to wrap up today. I've been doing podcasts all day. And I was like, oh, I'll go take a yoga class. And I had a whole plan. And I was like, you know what? Now I'm going to take myself on a date. I got this deer t-shirt on and these army pants. <laughs> I'm going to go downtown. And the reason is because I was in Hawaii. I love Hawaii so much. But I didn't eat out there. I just cooked at the house. And I was like, I just am really craving. I'm like, I, you know, cooked 10,000 dinners in a row for my kids. I really would like someone to make me dinner. So y'all, I'm going to take myself on a date tonight. And one of my favorite things to do, I love going to dinner by myself. I, I'll go anywhere by myself, but I love going to dinner by myself because I love trying a bunch of different dishes and all the restaurants I love. Like one of my favorites here in Austin is called Odd Duck. And they're they're really intense flavors and sauces and spices. And no one in my life likes hot duck. Like boyfriend doesn't like it. Kids don't like it. It's all too intense. I think it's so delicious, but I'll never go there because nobody else likes it but me. And I'm like, I'm going to go to hot duck tonight. That's what I'm going to go do. So I'm going to take myself on a date and love the very unique part of myself. And I would really like to encourage you to do the same. So yeah. Consider taking yourself on a date. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's really you just being intentional with yourself in the same way that hopefully you are in your relationships. And these are simple things. These are my ideas. These are things that have really helped me along the way. Loving yourself looks like accepting yourself, forgiving yourself, seeing the good in yourself, being conscious of how far you've come honoring yourself, celebrating all of the distance that you've come. Look back over the last year, the last five years, the last 10, and celebrate the hell out of how much work you've done, evolution you've had, how much you've loved others, how much you've loved yourself, even if it's only in tiny moments. Like Honor who you are and this version of you that is working so hard to become better. This is a practice. Self-love is a practice. I'm sure there are so many books you could read, other podcasts you can listen to, and they'll have even more insight than I do. But this, I think, is a great starting off point. And I hope that you found it helpful. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe to the podcast. It's really helpful for your favorite hosts if you subscribe. And if you have time to give it a rating, uh, please do. But only if you like it. If you hate it, just you keep that to yourself. <laughs> I'll be back next week with more conversation. Until then, remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. <laughs>